Hello, everybody out there. We're back at it again. You've got John, Derek, and Will. you got the three musketeers or the three of us or whatever you want to call us. Uh, the three wise men. I think that goes good. We're not to that season yet, but if you've been to Costco or at home or anything, you, you think it's that season. So we'll go with the three wise men tonight. And I think everybody's been on the road or everybody's done something different or exciting or things have changed a little bit. Where do we want to start? Which one do you want to jump in? I know Will's traveled, Derek's traveled. Let Derek I think, I think Will Will really wants to talk about LS Fest. All right, I'll talk about LS Fest. Now, now LLS Fest. This is about as we discussed a couple episodes ago. You went to this big Lexus meet, LS four hundreds, four thirties. Okay. Well, what did you think of the uh, Toyota engineering and how it's evolved over the last thirty years? Actually, believe it or not. Um, there were several Lexuses at LS Fest. Um, they were, see, there I went, um, they were all powered by the Chevrolet LS platform <laughs> motor. There were actually two there that I think they were IS 350s, if I'm not mistaken, that were LS powered. And man, they were pretty cool cars. They were, you know, running them around on a drag strip and whatnot. There might have been one of them that was <clears throat> doing the autocross. Uh, yeah, LS Fest is, man, it's a hell of an event. That's the most people I've ever seen at Bowling Green. I mean, I've been to Bowling Green I don't know how many times. Hot Rod Reunions, Good Guys Events, Tri-Five Nationals, you name it. I've been to just about all of them there. And this was by far the most people I have ever seen at Beach Bend. So, and we actually debuted, uh, or re-debuted the Rocket Camaro. Uh, we completely redone everything on it. So I'm calling it a debut. Well, I, I, I saw pictures of it uh, on the Big Oak Garage Facebook page. And like I said, you guys did the fender flares correctly. And I don't I think you can call it a debut because it sure as heck isn't the car you guys were showing showing last year. Oh, no, no, totally different car. Last year had 275s all the way around. This year it has 315s. We did a two-inch wide body on the front fenders and quarter panels and left the door stock. And you, you really got to know those cars to realize what 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 we've done to the body. So it turned out really, really good um, thanks to Derek hooking us up with the parking lot that we were able to test in Wednesday night and Thursday night because I mean we we kicked the car off the jacks Wednesday morning at 4 o'clock in the morning had an appointment at the dyno at 8 o'clock Wednesday morning we left straight from the dyno uh, actually we didn't need I ran out of windshield urethane so we didn't even get the windshield in caught a buddy of mine that had a shop between Huntsville and, and Bowling Green swung in by there he had everything I needed sitting there when I got there. I actually installed the windshield on the way to Bowling Green. So uh, we got there Wednesday night, and like I said, Derek hooked us up with the parking lot we were able to test in. And if we wouldn't have been able to do that, we wouldn't have done near as good as we did because we, we essentially got two races in before we had to actually really go out there and race. And was able to uh, tweak the – you know, tweak the tune on the suspension a little bit and get our air pressure set right in the tires and, you know, play around with uh, actually 
driver position. Darren wanted us to move the seat around a little bit so he was a little more comfortable and just, you know, things like that. Uh, dialed in a few of the electronics we wasn't able to get dialed in on the dyno. And it, it was a lifesaver, really was, Derek. I appreciate that, man. That was that was huge. You're welcome, Will. <laughs> that was a sincere you're welcome. I appreciate that. <laughs> so... But I, yeah, just, I, I just want to note the first time Will has ever thanked me on the show. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And not not only do I thank you, Philip thanks you, Darren thanks you, David Coker thanks you. All those guys were very appreciative of what you were able to do for us and uh, really, really made the car a whole lot better than what it would have been just, just by those two nights being able to go around and uh, play around in the parking lot a little bit so what about your uh travels derek how did uh how did they go where did you go what did you do i know you pulled a trailer because you're uh, just complaining about your fuel mileage you were getting <laughs> welcome to my world brother <laughs> yeah but you have a diesel don't you i i, I do I do. I, I we, yeah, we have that's... a diesel, and, but don't get me wrong. I've had, I've had plenty of uh, three quarter tons with six liters and five threes and everything else I've pulled trailers with. So I feel your pain. Yeah, I well, know it. I know it. Silly, silly me using my GMC with the, the five three and stupid me using my GMC truck with the five three in it to pull a. 20 foot long flat front enclosed trailer uh yeah i got about you know a third of the gas mileage i would get without one but <clears throat> you know it's all in having fun right and that's that's what we do this for but well, no i made my annual trip to old car festival up at uh, henry ford museum in greenfield village better known as the henry ford um as everyone knows one of the uh, my previous uh, employment spots and uh, but I go back every year for old car festival I apologize I keep breaking up <clears throat> I've got evidently a little bit of a cold but I went back for old car festival I narrate the passenger review and and do all that and just kind of have fun at the show talking about old cars obviously as everyone knows that listens to the show, uh, two weeks before the show was to take place, I acquired a 1919 Chevrolet touring car, and the whole goal of acquiring it was to have it at Old Car Festival. Kind of like Will, I took the car off the axle stands on Wednesday before the show, and had to load it in the trailer that night. And uh, I was successful in having it running and it would drive, but it had some tuning issues that weren't quite sorted out. It would, uh, it would, it would move around, but it had a hard time under its own power and it would just occasionally die. So I, I got it into the trailer and took it to Detroit with me to a good friend's shop up there which uh, John and, and Will, I think, both know the gentleman. And we did some final tweaking on it, found some of the very odd issues with it that we were able to resolve. And 
Saturday morning, I was able to kind of surprise my friends and family that were at the show by pulling into Greenfield Village with this 1919 Chevrolet touring car. Yeah, we had a lot of fun, just kind of goofed off with it, gave a lot of people rides. Uh, My friend actually got to drive it more than I did probably just because I was on the pass and review stand so long and he was out driving it around just goofing off with it. So on Sunday, you know, I had more free time because I didn't have to narrate the any part of the show. Wound up my my lovely wife wanted to take the car down and, and play car games because we'd never gotten to do that before. One of the very first games, as they call them, the the group decided they wanted to do what's called a fastest race. Uh, they don't call it a drag race. They just call it the fastest race. Whoever can make it down the f- activity field, the fastest is the winner. Because most of the time they got to push them, right? Well, you know, maybe. But <laughs> I, I lined up against a uh, Model T-powered Speedster that had the uh, uh, kind of a souped-up Model T engine and transmission with a, a Model A transmission added behind that at, for additional gearing and a pretty stock... 19 i think it was 30 model a two-door sedan and in in all rights those two cars probably should have been able to beat the the chevy touring car but the model t powered speedster had i don't know what happened but it appeared maybe it stalled or something went wrong and it never left the line and the model a quickly fell behind the Chevy Touring and the 1919 Chevy Touring uh, won the race. So I did uh, drag race the the Chevy Touring car, and I will say I was not. When you play car games, you're not easy. You don't take it easy on the car. It was full on everything that car had, uh, shifting through the gears, and uh, the the clutch was. It's a, a leather cone clutch, and it was it was slipping a good part of the time. So <laughs> I wasn't baby in the car, you know, two weeks of owning it and, you know, uh, bringing it in two weeks up from being a stuck engine. I was not I was not babying the thing. I was I was pretty much flogging it. And I'm amazed that it it held up as well as it did. And it was able to pull off some of the things it did. So sounds like you had a good time. Yeah, it was horrible. Hated it. Every minute of it. <laughs> Did you do your uh, commentating on the cars coming through on the parade again this year, too? Yeah, that was I was just talking about narrating pass and review. Were you listening? Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching football. Sorry. That's probably also part of the reason the voice is breaking up, because I don't know that I've recovered from all that. The excitement and the yelling and the cheering is, oh, look at that 1908 Cadillac. It's a great car, but so is that how you do that, or is it? No, are are, are you more like a golf announcer? Yeah, won't you give us a uh, uh, a little impromptu of how you do it? Uh, usually, it's and here's another Model T pulling up. This will be the 500th Model T we've talked about. No, I'm I'm joking. <laughs> Anybody that goes to Old Car Festival, don't take offense if you own a Model T. No, basically when the cars pull up, they have your typical windshield card in them. 
and they have a car number on them. We have a book of notes in front of us that the owner sometimes supplies some unique stories about the car and their ownership of it or the history of it. You know, we have specs in front of us on the car in case we need to reference them if we, you know, forget something or don't. We just add whoever's up there. So in the case of the early cars, it was myself and the curator for the Henry Ford Museum, Matt Anderson. We just basically talk about the car, tell the you know people in the grandstands what the car is. It's tied to automotive history, you know, in the development of the automobile, just some of the general facts about it, you know, what it cost at the time, kind of what level car it would have been, you know, okay, this, you know, this is a car that would have cost you $4,000. This was a wealthy elite person's car. This wasn't a car for the common person in, in any way. And then, like in the case of, we, there's two really beautiful 1910 Hupmobile Roadsters that come to the show, and they go through passenger review. And I'll usually throw in when one of them goes through the story of the world touring Hupmobile. So the Hupmobile that drove around the world. It was the the first car to first American automobile to ever truly complete a world tour, and by that. Uh, you know, the, the New York to Paris race had already been run a couple of years before this, but that was a race circumnavigating the globe. In other words, going from one point to the other as fast as possible. The World Touring Hupmobile actually drove from city to city, zigzagging across every country it went through, sometimes backtracking to another city, and drove like 47,700 some odd miles in its world tour and and throughout that whole tour it had one issue which was it broke a axle shaft in japan and a local swordsmith blacksmith swordsmith was able to basically make a, a new shaft and put it in the car and the car returned out uh carried on and returned back to detroit after all that time so you know just things like that just telling people about the car that's in front of them unique stories from that company's history or that specific car's history and just usually you know thanking the people who brought them for bringing them out because if they hadn't it wouldn't be a very good show so i'm going to come do that one year and be the heckler in the crowd you should do that you've threatened now that i think this is the third year on the podcast will you've threatened to go there but it's opposite ls fest and i'm i'm gonna do it i don't know when we i mean the narrators heckle each other, so you'd just be able to join right in. So There we go. It seems that every year when a Cadillac pulls up and we talk about uh, the self-starter that was introduced, uh, the electric self-starter that was introduced on Cadillac, some narrator has to mention how dangerous it, is, it, dangerous it can be to hand crank an automobile and mention that occasionally you can get teeth knocked out. Isn't that right, Derek? <laughs> I was uh, listening to another podcast a couple weeks ago. And, well, we're recording. And, uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm that rude, but I'm that attentive. And they were discussing the self-starter, and you know, it was some trivia question they had, and most of their hosts were incorrect in identifying Cadillac as the innovator there. But it 
came about because something about the oh, the guy that owned Cadillac, and I'm forgetting names all of a sudden tonight, and you guys have me up late. A bu- uh, Leland had a buddy or something that got kicked, got a kickback on a hand crank, and it broke his arm or broke his leg, and it became infected and ended up killing the guy, or the guy ended up dying because of the injuries. And so he approached um, somebody who, as it was at Delco at the time or something like that, uh, that became Delco. And that's how the starter, the self starter actually. So far off. Yeah. Story. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying, tr- I'm trying to get your, uh, get you to tell this. You know, like I said, I, I was just half, halfway listening. I was kind of upset over a civic. Es- so what's the story? So yes, Henry. Henry Leland had a, uh, another gentleman, and I'm, I'm trying to remember that gentleman's name. He was another uh, auto baron from the Kalamazoo area, and right now I cannot remember who it was. But he was he happened to be in Detroit for a business meeting, went out for a drive on Belle Isle, and came across a stranded uh, motorist and attempted to help start her car. And during hand cranking of the automobile, the car did kick back, breaking his arm and you know, putting him in the hospital. And yes, the arm, broken arm became infected. I don't remember with what type of infection it was. It led to some pneumonia building up in his lungs and eventually he would succumb from from the injuries and and the resulting infections and pneumonia would wind up dying. Leland basically said, this is ridiculous. You know, this shouldn't be happening. There's got to be a way to make the starting an automobile safer. There has to be a way. And on a trip somewhere, maybe even just walking around Detroit, Leland went into a shop that had a cash register that was produced by the National Cash Register Company in Dayton, Ohio. And he realized that the drawer automatically opened itself. And how it did it was a small electric motor that wound a spring that allowed the drawer to pop open. And so he actually contacted National Cash Register to figure out who had designed that mechanism, found out it was a gentleman with the last name of Kettering, He contacted Mr. Kettering and asked him if there was a way that he could think of that an electric motor could spin an internal combustion engine to get it started. And Mr. Kettering said, I think I can come up with something, and is the man who developed the electric self-starter that would be installed on the 1912 Cadillacs. Bingo! Yeah, so so I had the story right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was pretty painful, though. Well, what do you expect? I'm trying to let 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 you shine, and that would be a story that Derek would tell at Old Car Festival, and enlighten. Yeah, exactly, and we do tell it. So and that's what Will was asking Derek a little bit ago. Is tell us some, you know, how you would announce. So I, I got that out of him. Painfully got it out of him, but I got it out of him. I'm going to say that was all pre-planned and pre-thought, and I scripted it out during our conversation here all right well that was that was a great episode a lot of information there glad we recorded tonight 
we've I, we've done a couple short episodes here lately with some creative editing, and I'm not sure we're still watching the numbers. I think the the shorter episodes might work. I uh, I didn't travel or anything, and the last episode we released is uh, John gets a reality check where you guys were so nice to me and kind of uh, put me in my place on wanting to buy an inexpensive car. So I did it. I actually hoped that the episode would come out and I could get some advice from the listeners, but I'm an impatient. So I went out and bought a uh, 2007 Mazda 5, so I didn't listen to anything you guys said. No LS, no LT1, nah, nah. I went out and just bought a uh, unreliable Japanese car. I don't I don't put Mazda up there necessarily with Honda, Toyota, Honda and Toyota. We are going to go with uh, John gets a van too, you know. So you so, got roadside assistance. Um, I've looked at the uh, various levels of AAA for that, <laughs> and I used to think AAA was regular and gold, and but there is one now that provides three hundred miles of towing one time like per membership period or something, and then the rest of the towing can be up to 100 miles. And I think that might be the plan that I go ahead and add to this vehicle because it probably will fail at some point, and then I'll get mad, sell it, and buy something <laughs> that I'm more accustomed to. But little, what is it, six-passenger mini minivan, it kind of feels interesting driving around. It's got a couple little suspension things. I've got to change out the control arms and the front strut assemblies, but that's kind of us every 60 or 70,000 mile process on those Mazda 5s. So other than that, it's a pretty solid little vehicle. What color sweater vest did you get? Um, I'm trying to remember if I, I don't even own sweater vests anymore. I don't think Zero would let me wear one. But that would be cool. Maybe I could do a sweater vest with a little bow tie instead of a suit, whoa, whoa, suit whoa, at the whoa. wedding. Whoa, whoa. Bow tie world is my world, okay? Yeah. You just stick with the sweater vest. Do you have the sticker on the stickers on the back of you and your girlfriend and all of your kids and your dogs and soccer mom and all that stuff? No, unlike you guys, I, I pro, I'm sure, I have the no driving glove sticker, and is dude no, <laughs> no, uh, no driving glove and, 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 and then I have there my is a, there is a two eight, 2018 <laughs> GMC in my driveway with a no driving glove sticker on the back glass. That's acceptable. And uh, I've got the uh, no driving gloves license plate frame on it. So. Oh. <laughs> Uh, well, we just we might as well cancel the show now. Wah, 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 hey, we're we're, we're wah. popular with vanners out there. You know, I've got the Van Culture Community Facebook page up on one of my monitors here right now. So, looking oh. at an, a bagged Honda Odyssey, got it all, tu- all tires all tucked in that. Oh. Not quite land frame though. My. Soccer moms everywhere love a job. Which I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out here. This guy on here, and I'm not sure what kind of van he has. He went. He contacted a shop. Uh, um, wants to put air ride on his van, and the shop was kind of dismissive of him, <laughs> kind of <laughs> laughing at, "Hey, <laughs> why the heck do you want to do this?" Which I thought was actually a little 
relevant question is why do you want to bag a van? And then they quoted him like 8,000 Canadian, which would be a 6,000 U.S. I thought that was kind of sort of reasonable for if you took a van that I'm sure you can't call up Air Ride and just order a kit for. Do you think that's a reasonable price, Will? I'm just throwing that out there. If you had to custom fabricate brackets and bags and compressors and everything else, I think five, six grand to do that on a van. Yeah, I mean, that's very reasonable. That's, you know, depending on your shop rate, 80 to 100 hours, you know. I mean, that's um, that should definitely be, you know, doable. Is it going to be the tip top of the line, AccuAir, you know, all that stuff? No, it's not. I mean, it's going to be pretty decent equipment, but not definitely not the best out there. Not going to be from Air Ride Technologies or Accuair, that's for sure. But yeah, uh, that's yeah. that's kind of what I you know I threw out there. I mean, his post was basically the guy was just dismissive, and that's not how a car person should be. And I said it's a valid question because if you're the shop, I'm sure you would ask those same questions. Will being why do you want to do it to a van? Is it just because your buddy does it? Is it because you saw cool pictures on Facebook? Do you realize what the inconveniences are going to be and what the problems can be and things like that? You want to get that out of your customers, and that's something I even do with my consulting businesses. If you want to get a car restored, I want to know the reason you want it restored. It's just not that, you know, I really want to, you know, I want to see 10 pickup because they're cool. Why do you really want to put this much money into the restoration as opposed to just going out and buying one that's finished or some such? So why it seems anti-car guy, I think it's very relevant to the cost world. So that, there's my uh, preaching for this episode. But there's been a lot of other news, car news, that's gone on in the last week or so with some potentially major changes uh, coming to... Uh, I want to say either California or Wisconsin. I know Will and I did an episode a couple, uh, probably about two months ago on uh, the street rods and fenderless hot rods in Wisconsin. And that's actually gained a little bit of traction uh, and leaning more towards the car people and the, they're kind of the government's Wisconsin state government's kind of saying, no, 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 we don't, we don't want to get those cars off the road. We just want to, kind of keep things in check. So I saw that one, and then what was... I'm leaving the big dog to last, if I can think of this other one that... Uh, well, I can't think of it. How do we want to introduce this, or how do we want to go into this, talking about Kevin Hart's accident, and, uh, you know, his... Uh, quote 70 challenger which i think the only thing 70 challenger about that car were the body panels i think how i think how it needs to be brought in is a if you build a custom car there needs to be some sort of modern type safety equipment in it period that's the way we build them and that's, I just agree, that's the way they all should be built. Now, what California says they're possibly may do, it's not written in stone yet, 
from the article that I shared with you guys was the state of California is looking at implementing you it become a law that you have to upgrade your safety equipment if you build antique cars. I agree and disagree with that a little bit. If you're building a modern hot rod that's designed to go out and run with traffic and you know you're going to be doing 80, 90, whatever, 150 mile an hour on the freeway, if you don't put some sort of modern safety equipment in it, that's just kind of dumb in my opinion. If you're going to be running 150 mile an hour, you need to be able to have your car take a lick at 150 mile an hour and, and you stay safe. You know, in the cars that, you know, Derek's building his 1919 Chevrolet, I think it would be a disgrace to, for Derek to have to take that car and update it with modern safety equipment and all sorts of other stuff. Um, as we've talked in the past, it's almost safer in a touring car like that to be ejected out of the vehicle versus staying in the vehicle. Mm -hmm. so I'm not for the government telling me what I need to do anyway uh, that's just me um, so I think they need to leave it alone but if you're building a car and I hate to bring it up because it was a fatality at the Tri-5 Nationals where you know a gentleman lost his life had a wreck on the interstate there in Bowling Green um I do not know any details at all on this whatsoever, um, but I did see pictures of the vehicle, and and he was, from what I was told, ejected out of the vehicle. From the pictures I saw, if he would have been in the car, he would probably still be here. Um, I believe in seat belts. I believe in roll cages. I you know I believe in in safety equipment. Um, the Rocket Camaro has got a hell of a roll cage system in it in autocrossing you're not really getting over 50 60 miles an hour but it's got a roll cage in it that you could go out on a road course and run 150 miles an hour it's a little overkill in that car but i'd rather have overkill than underkill i read in the article that you sent us is that california is basically looking to mandate harnesses in all vehicles and i really would like to see the explanation of harness and in all vehicles like you alluded to you know say Derek's uh, 1919 Chevrolet or any car of that that period where are you going to bolt the seatbelt to you know the, the the wood frame structure they're going to pull out or pull through there's really the early cars there's really nothing to do and then California is going to mandate harnesses are they talking a three-point safety belt are they talking five-point you know, shoulder harnesses, etc. Kevin's heart was a 1970 Challenger. It, by law, was supposed to have three-point seatbelts in it. If you look at the pictures of it, I don't see seatbelts in it, and they're extremely low-back, custom uh, racing-type buckets that would might come up to your shoulder blades. So if you did put a five-point harness in there, there's, it's going to end up injuring you in any sort of accident. There's no roll cage. And to anybody out there who has four-point, five-point, six-point harnesses in their street car and doesn't have a cage, you're wrong. 
take those out. Do not use them. Because what those do is they keep you in your seat. You can't move. And your car does not necessarily have a roll structure to allow... You can't duck. You can't try to, whatever, be tossed around a little bit. Or it's not, even in a three-point, as the roof collapses, the seat belts would collapse with you. It'll hold you in place. And I've heard of accidents with, and I'm going to say tuner cars, where the... the uh, Harness was improperly installed or, again, didn't allow the driver any flexibility or movement uh, when it came to a rollover accident. And in Kevin Hart's car's case, is, you know, it was built, I guess, for a movie or some something. It was built for another purpose. He bought it afterwards, and it was built by a very, very reputable shop. And I... I you know, like I said, I listened to other podcasts, and I was listening to um, uh, what what's the name of it? I can't. Um, uh, uh, Aaron Hagar and Matt DeAndrea and uh, Brian Fanshaw do the the show, and I can't. I'm sorry, I can't think of the name of it, guys. But they were discussing Kevin Hart's thing and Matt made a comment, you know, he does another podcast with Bill Goldberg, who's building a carbon fiber Dodge Hellcat or demon or something. And after he drove it, he got out of the car and said, you got, and it's by the same shop that built Kevin Hart's car. And he said, you got to put a roll cage in this thing. It's, it's stupid fast. It's going to kill somebody. See, there's, you know, I think there's thinking, there's this level of cool, I don't want seatbelts, etc. But uh, I remember when seatbelt laws started coming out in the late, was it late 80s, early 90s? And I was against them and I was against them and I defied, you know, I never wore a seatbelt all through my teen years. And I didn't start wearing a seatbelt until I bought my 89 CRX and probably, I buy that car in 95 or 96 and I made it a habit. Uh, kind of the first day I bought it or owned it, I started wearing the seatbelt. And after six or seven months, it just felt odd not to wear a seatbelt. And now I can't even back a car down a driveway without a seatbelt on. And it just kind of seems stupid not to put that kind of stuff in a car. I yep. agree. I mean, we've, we've built cars that didn't have seatbelts. Uh, but that was owner's request. Knowing that the car wasn't going to be driven a whole lot. Uh, I kind of accepted it. Then again, you know, we've, we've put three point safety belts and uh, tri five Chevys to 48 Ford coupes. I mean, you can, you can incorporate a, a three point seat belt in just about anything. And they're actually pretty clean. If you do it properly, you can kind of hide it behind the, the, you know, hide it into the B pillar a little bit and make it clean and, and look sanitary. And, and, and there's actually ways to create, you know, rollover protection in these cars without them being seen too. Um, the, the gold 32 Ford that we built, we took all the wood out of the B pillars and took some really thick square tubing and, you know, machined a few places here and there and, and and then tied it all in together from you know in between the headliner and the roof skin with some some other stout square tubing uh, so it was you know 
that gave the a poster or something attached the headliner to and you know you would never know that that car actually had a pretty decent amount of side impact and rollover protection in that car so no no it's just something that that we try to do is think about safety and of these old cars because you know you get hit in one of these old cars there's nothing around you there's nothing to protect you i know everybody says oh it's you know got sheet it's got real metal in it dude that real metal will crinkle and buckle and it's not good it's not good it's like that video that went around social media a couple of years ago and pops up every now and then of the difference between what is it an 04 chevrolet impala and a 59 or a 60 chevrolet impala in an you know a 35 mile crash test yeah there's a lot of steel in those old cars but there's no crumple zones there's no impact absorbing um remedies i mean pre-68 you didn't have collapsible steering columns well they're that they were dangerous cars and they you know they technically still can be and yeah it costs a few extra dollars to put those safety pieces in there but and it's kind of like the saw stop table saw I have. You know, you pay a thousand dollars extra to have it, but like I said, if I die going die without ever using the the brake on that, I'm not going to care. But the moment my finger touches that blade and the blade retracts and stops, I'm going to be really glad I spent a thousand dollars as opposed to you know physical therapy and ten thousand dollars to potentially reattach my finger, etc. You know, safety's not, <laughs> I think we, we've all gotten too old because safety kind of becomes important. Uh, in, in my vehicle search, I found a Mint, and I might have mentioned it on the episode we talked, Mint 89 Mazda B2200 pickup, extended cab, 54,000 miles, no rust. The thing looks showroom new. And I really thought about buying that truck. But part of buying what I did is, you know, I figure I'll keep it a while and then it'll get pushed off to the side and we'll give it to the 15-year-old when he turns 16 for his first car. And, and I said to Zara, there's no way I'm going to put him in that 89 Mazda because if he has an accident, which he's 16, he's going to have an accident. I'm sorry, I'm that morbid. I think, you know, they're going to have an accident. There's nothing in that Mazda that's going to hold up to a Suburban or a new blazer or something that hits him. So you just have to think and, you know, what happened with Kevin Hart's car. I mean, that, that that's just a, you know, I want to say comedy of errors, but I hate using the word comedy. I mean, he let a buddy drive it. He let a buddy drive it late at night. The person in the back seat was fine. You know, his security team pulls him out of the car and takes him home before taking him to the hospital. What did they do with the other guy? Did they leave him sitting there? You know, where they had to cut the roof off the car to get the driver out of the car. And then, you know, Kevin ends up going to the hospital and having his, you know, spine had to be fused in three different places. I mean, this is a, you know, a serious accident with a car that, you know, I said was built by a reputable shop and I'm sure well built. But, you know, it was just a little too much car for the guy driving it. And, I, you know, I don't know what the circumstances were. I don't think any of us will ever really know what the circumstances were. But, you know, a mistake was made. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, two people almost got killed. We don't know, you know, how they're actually going to come out of this. And, you know, we talk about this and, 
you know, this CUDA and that. But this stuff happens often. I mean, you know, you mentioned the Tri-5 tri Nats, and, uh, you know, there's accidents that happen on the Hot Rod Power Tour, and, you know, these accidents happen every day. Yeah, we talk about these are limited mileage cars. There's very few accidents, but there are accidents. If there wasn't, you know, these collector car insurance companies need not exist. So, uh, you know, I'm not for California necessarily creating new laws to basically enforce laws that are already on the books. I'm not, you know, my fear is that they're going to, you know, they'll come out with this harness thing and then it'll all of a sudden be all these cars need to have safety inspections, etc. And that's a road that I really don't want to go down. You know, give them an inch, they take a mile and... Become a member of SEMA. Become <laughs> a member of SEMA. Well, I think it comes down to if if you're going to be in this hobby, if you're going to be in this industry, whatever you want to call it, of the collector cars, be smart about what you're doing, I guess. You know, it's like Will said, okay, yeah, there's going to be people out that are like, out there that say, oh, I don't want, I don't want seatbelts in my car. Either it's just a show car and it's never going to drive on the road or, you know, whatever reason they have, that's, that's their choice. But in my case, yeah, my, my 1919 Chevrolet touring car, my 1917 Overland, they're not going to have seatbelts because as john and will have both said we've talked about on the show before i don't want to stay with that car if it if something happens i want to i want to be ejected because the the wood that splinters out of it the metal that comes ripping away from those bodies it's it's dangerous you don't want to be around them when they start coming apart uh, the the good friend i mentioned earlier in the show he had an accident with his 1912 Overland and he was ejected. Yeah, yeah, he wound up with a broken shoulder. Fortunately, nothing terrible happened to the car. It eventually came to a stop, but had it, it had circumstances been different, you know, and he had stayed with the car, there could have been a lot worse things that happened than a broken shoulder. So he's he's lucky, and he says he was lucky that he was he was thrown from the car, and and got away from it just in case anything else happened. And we both know people that on various antique car tours have lost their lives because, you know, a model a Model T rolled over or something, and 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 the the, I think the most telling thing, is that typically. It's, it's very common that the only person in an early car a lot of times that is killed in a, a bad accident in one of them is usually the driver because they're trapped by the steering wheel. Anyone else that's in the car is ejected and usually suffers minor injuries. It's usually a person that's trapped in the car, which a seatbelt traps you in the car, that winds up with the most severe injuries to you know, being killed in the accident. Now, my 1961 Ford Falcon, it's a two-door sed, you know, two-door sedan, hard top, a lot of sheet metal, a lot of thick sheet metal, a non-collapsing steering column. 
guess what? It's got aftermarket seatbelts because if there's a wreck with that thing, I don't want to go bouncing around inside the interior of that car, bouncing off hard metal and sharp objects that are starting to rip away from the car. I'd rather stay behind the steering wheel and suffer a little bit of bumps and bruises as things start hitting me have a, a good chance of surviving because I'm not getting thrown into the back seat and out the back window or out a side window or something like that. So I think it comes down to, you got to be smart too. Yeah. My 61 Ford Falcon is not as powerful as a, a street rod or a hot rod, like what Kevin Hart had. I can still get hit by somebody going as fast as that car was going when it left the road, which causes as much damage as what happened to that car again i you just got to be smart if you're if you're going to do this and and it's i believe kind of like will yeah we don't need anybody telling us what to do or how we should live our lives but in my opinion be smart and and give yourself the best chance of surviving and if you choose not to well then that's that's your choice i guess Maybe we need to go to Darwin's theory here. You mean about where we came from fish? Survival of the fittest. Oh, okay. Yay. Somebody say something funny. We can't live <laughs> leave on a downer here. What what cool thing, what funny thing happened this week? Elon Musk go get on a show and do something weird or what 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 funny thing happened or what humorous thing happened in the car world before we end this thing? Um, oh, I got it. Porsche redefines the word turbo. Have you guys seen any of this news? I have not. The Porsche Taycan was introduced, or Taycan or whatever. They're all electric, no gasoline-powered car, Tesla competitor, was introduced. They introduced two models, the Porsche Taycan Turbo and the Porsche Taycan Turbo S. And speaking of Elon Musk, he immediately tweeted and said, can you show me where the turbo is? And we all know an electric car does not have a turbo. Porsche has basically said they've come up with this naming system where they have like the Carrera, the Carrera S, the career uh, the the nine eleven turbo the nine eleven turbo s so that's what they introduced here is the two top of the line versions and the turbo s would be the top of the line of the macan and the cayenne and things like that and then the sub model is a turbo and then the irony is that all Porsches whether it be a base Boxster or a base 911, all of them are turbo cars anymore. So every car has a turbo except the electric ones, and then the electric ones still have the word turbo in the name. So as brought up on the same podcast, how long do you, uh, that I referred to earlier with the th those three guys, their question in that was, how long till the first owner buys this car and then sues Porsche because there is no turbo on it? So, well, 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 I guess end with that and we can, you know, the redefinition of the uh, naming of vehicles. We have it on our topic list to sit down and talk about what a two-door hardtop is and what a four-door sedan is and what a uh, two-door coupe is, etc. So now we can throw in what is a turbo. And 
I think I'll leave it there. That hopefully brings it up a little bit from the safety, the safety and putting seatbelts in your car, etc. Our best to Kevin Hart and this passenger, and, and be honest, anybody else that's had a misfortune in their vehicle, and you know is looking for a brighter outcome. Not just because he's famous; he's not the only one out there that had an accident this week. With that. I'm going to say goodnight, guys, and I'm out of here. Later, Tater. See you guys next time.